This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Susanna, Sam, Joanna, Josiah, and Amara. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's big question, and as always, we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. We begin with a couple of serious questions. We have questions today from Susanna and from Sam. Here's Susanna's question. Is it a sin not to know Jesus? Interesting question, Susanna. So if you remember, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Peter says that there is no other name under heaven by which we are saved apart from the name of Jesus. So that means there is no salvation without Jesus. There's no other way in order to be saved. But I want to flip your question around. You asked if it's a sin not to know Jesus. And the thing is, not knowing Jesus is because of sin. Here's what I mean. Before sin entered the world, every human being knew God and was known by God. Now, that knowledge is part of what it means to be human. Without it, we can't really be what we were meant to be. All creation, everything that God made, testifies to him. And that's true for us as well. Our inner conscience testifies to who God is. But sin is like a blindfold that you wear, and it hides this truth from us. So, God knows us, but because of sin, we don't know him, and we don't know ourselves, not really. And apart from God's grace, there's nothing that we can do to change that. But God gives us the power to know him, which is how we come to faith. Now, people sometimes say, if you reject Jesus, then you will be condemned. But the reality is actually sterner. We are all already condemned because of our sin, and knowing Jesus is what saves us from the power of sin. Now, Sam asks another kind of question about Jesus. He wants to know, when Jesus was born on Christmas, he knew that he would die, but did he know that he would die on the cross? Okay, so there's a complicated way to think about this and a simple way. We'll start with the simple way just to keep things straight. So John in John's Gospel says that Jesus knew all that would happen to him in the crucifixion before he was even arrested. So we can be confident that Jesus knew everything that was going to happen from the very beginning right down to the details. So what that means is that nothing ever came as a surprise to Jesus. Now, we have a lot more information in the Bible about Jesus's adult ministry than we do about his childhood. But the few details that we do have all confirm, they all testify to the fact that Jesus always seems to have this knowledge beyond his years. So, as I said, nothing shocked him. Nothing came as a surprise to him. And this makes sense. But Jesus was fully God. He was the Son with a capital S. He was the second person of the Trinity. And so 
He was and had always been omniscient, all-knowing. Now, he became a human being in the incarnation when he was born, but he never stopped being fully divine. Now, let's think about the complicated part, though. So, Jesus was fully human, right? He wasn't just a God who looked like he was human. He was fully God and fully man at the same time, without any mixture or confusion between those two natures. Now, knowing that, when we think about the way that human beings know things, there's development in our knowledge, our way of knowing, with age and with maturity, right? Sam, as you grow older, you will find that that you know things, not just more things, but kind of the, the way you know them and the connections you make are different as you mature. So if we're talking about the human nature of Jesus, and he was fully human the way that we are, then it might be that the way he knew things humanly as a baby was different than the way he knew them as a grown-up. Like I said, this is the complicated part. And you have to be really careful with this kind of speculation. Right? We never want to come up with a theory or, or imagine a story about what Jesus must have been like that makes him anything less than fully God. And we never want to think about Jesus in ways that make him less than fully human. But down the centuries, people have made both of those mistakes over and over again, basically denying that he was really God or fully God, or that he was really human or fully human. So at the end of the day, you just have to remember, we may not be able to explain it, but Jesus knew things the way that humans do. And he knew things the way that God does, all at the same time. Now it's time for the big question. This week's big question comes from Joanna. Joanna asks, why do we have to confess our sins to God if he has already forgiven them? Well, Joanna, first of all, I want to remind you of what the Apostle John says in 1 John 1.9. He says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when you hear those words, it sounds pretty simple. Confess your sins and God forgives them and cleanses us. I guess the question is, does John mean that we confess once and for all? all the sins that we've done, and then all the sins are forgiven, including the ones we haven't even committed yet? Or does he mean confess the ones you've committed, and when you sin again, confess that too, and keep confessing, so God will keep forgiving? Well, this is going to sound confusing at first, but the answer is kind of both. Here's what I mean. So, Jesus died on the cross to save his people from their sin. That's what Matthew says at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. And that means that Jesus paid the penalty for all our sins in order to save us from the punishment for sin. Now, when that happens at the cross, none of us had been born. So Jesus paid for our sins before they were even committed. And that work of atonement on the cross, that work is already done. 
There's nothing left to add to it, nothing that we have to do to contribute to our salvation. It's already happened, and it happened long before you were even born or had even committed your first sin. Now, when we come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes that work and applies it to us. Basically, you receive the forgiveness that Jesus has already earned. But in this life, we don't just suddenly stop sinning when we come to faith. Instead, although the reign of sin and the power of sin is broken in our lives, there is still that continuing struggle with sin. And so we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us or to work within us to make us more and more like Jesus. Now, part of that process is that we're constantly being reminded of the things that we still do that are not pleasing to God. And that's why in our worship, we continue to confess our sins to God. Now, if you pay close attention to what happens during the confession of sin in church, you'll notice something interesting. After we confess, the pastor, in other words, me, gives some words from Scripture, and those words serve as something that we call assurance of pardon. It actually says that in the order of worship, assurance of pardon. What does that mean? What it means is that these words from the Bible They're there to reassure us, to make sure that we understand that our sins have been forgiven. Because really, you might worry. Because you continue to struggle with sin, you keep sinning. Every week you have more sin to confess. It would be easy to think that you haven't been pardoned, that your sin hasn't been paid for. But if you're worried about that, this assurance of pardon from the Bible is there to reassure you. It reminds you the promises that have been made by God in Scripture that that you have, in fact, been forgiven. So, part of coming to faith in Jesus is admitting that you are a sinner and confessing that sin so that you can receive forgiveness. But after that, what happens is you start to live in the Spirit And you continue to realize your sin, and you confess those sins, and you receive an assurance from God that you have been forgiven. And that helps your heart stay soft. It it helps to prevent you from hardening yourself in your sin. So you're constantly saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. And that's why, even though our sins have been forgiven, we continue to confess them to God and receive an assurance that he has pardoned us. And now to bring this episode to a close, let's take a look at a couple of fun questions. This time we have questions from Josiah and Amara. Josiah has a question about art in the sanctuary. He asks, what is the clay and wire coat there for? So Josiah is referring to a beautiful sculpture that hangs on one side of the sanctuary at Grace. Now that sculpture is made of hundreds of these tiny little earthenware tiles that have been painstakingly knit together and connected with copper wire 
to make a robe that has its arms spread out. Now, if you go and take a look at the plaque next to the robe, you'll find out that the name of the artwork, not surprisingly, is the robe. <laughs> it was made in 2003, that's 18 years ago, by Jeff Smith, who is one of our deacons at Grace. Now, Jeff has many talents, and one of them happens to be ceramics. And so that's how he was able to create this work of art. Now, if you look closely at the tiles the next time you're at church, you'll notice that they have little symbols stamped into the clay. Now, the tiles are similar to ancient tablets that merchants used to use to keep their accounts on, to do their math on. Now, the markings that are on the tablets are actually a reference to a Bible verse, Matthew 18, 21. Now, that's the passage where Jesus is asked by Peter how many times he has to forgive his brother who keeps offending him. And he thinks, do I have to forgive him seven times? Like seven is a whole bunch, but maybe if I have to forgive him seven times, I'll do it. And then Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, there's a lot of forgiveness that you're going to have to give. Now, the, the symbols on the tile reference that 7 and 77 to remind you of that passage. You'll also notice something else. If you look at the robe, especially the top where it's hanging, it's hanging from a wooden branch. And that branch is a reminder of the cross where Jesus did his great work of forgiveness. So when you're at church and you see the robe, it makes you think of forgiveness, which is actually turning out to be a theme of this episode. Now, I'll tell you a fun fact about the robe. Each one of those little tiles had to be baked in a special kind of oven called a kiln, really, really hot. In fact, in order to make them hard like they are, the temperature had to go up to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, that's not as hot as the sun, which is like 27 million degrees. But trust me, 2,000 degrees is really hot. It's much hotter than anything that you'd want to touch. But they all had to be heated up like that in order to have their structure. There's a lot of other fun facts about the robe, and I would encourage you sometime, if you see Jeff Smith, to ask him more about the process of creating it, because there are a lot of interesting details that went into it. And now Amara has a question about my black robe. She asks, why did you wear a black robe on Easter and not a brighter color? Well, you've probably noticed that on certain days I do wear a black robe during church instead of normal clothes. And I'm sure, like Amara, you've wondered why that is. There's actually a, a pretty simple explanation. In the Reformation, that's what all the pastors wore. The reason is that before that, the priests had worn these really fancy outfits with a lot of ceremonial meaning to them, kind of like the priests in the Old Testament. But because the Old Testament system was over in the Reformation, they stopped doing this. And they started dressing in what they described as the simple robes of a scholar. So when you see paintings of pastors from the 1500s and the 1600s and the 1700s and even the 1800s, you'll notice that this is the way that they're dressed. Now, it wasn't meant to be fancy. It was actually meant to be humble in comparison 
to all of the, the fancy stuff that the priests were wearing. So these days, of course, it does seem a little strange because we don't wear scholars' robes like this very often. You'll see them occasionally at graduation ceremonies, or judges will wear black robes, but it's pretty rare for us. And even I only do it on special occasions. I do it as a reminder of those pastors who went before us. Now, by the way, my robe was actually a gift from a friend of mine who's also a pastor, and another pastor gave it to him. And I really love the idea of it being handed down like that. Whenever I wear it, I always think about the other pastors who wore it first before me. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Until next time, remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. So never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will always stand up to scrutiny. So until next time, keep asking the big questions.